the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE. Energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people, smart technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Barris Age Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we're going to be talking about reflections on the post-professional society workshop that Ed and I did um, earlier this week in Niagara Falls. So, Ed, Welcome. Hey, how you doing, Ron? Good to see you again. We were together Monday and Tuesday. That was a, always a blast to to do face to face stuff with you. It's just uh, so much fun. It is, especially this topic, Ed, because we're both fixated and obsessed with it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, given the fact that we got to spend some time uh, with Daniel Suskin, bringing him out to Sage Summit and having dinner with him, and I know you've interviewed him uh, on a, on uh, the Sage podcast. Um, it, it, it's just, I mean, just being marinated in his work and then being able to convey some of that to an audience. It's always fun to see the reactions that, that you get. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a good group of folks and I've been associated with this group for over 10 years now. It's kind of scary, but I, uh, when I first started working for Sage, Ron, we, we had a, a year long program called the Sage or actually it was best back at the time, the best leadership Academy. And what it was, it was a series of three retreats that organizations had to send at least two people to. Mm. And so they came to the first retreat, and then the second and third were follow-ups. And then what happened was we had done a number of these over the course of, you know, two or three years. And some of the folks came to us and said, hey, listen, you know, it would be really great to get back with the group that I went through this program so we created an alumni association, and by this time we had switched from Best to Sage, so that it became the Sage Leadership Academy. And then there's, there's some challenges with using the name Sage, so it's actually now known as the Strategic Leadership Association. <laughs> and but so we had a, a built-in member base. But just FYI, if there are any accountants, bookkeepers, lawyers, any any professional firm really that might be interested in joining an organization that talks about some of these ideas, uh, certainly I'm happy to, to, to connect with you on that. So uh, we'll put that in the show notes too. I just, just thought of that as we were coming on the air that, hey, maybe there might be some organizations that, that are listening to us who might want to be a part of it. So we'll, we'll put that as part of the show notes. But anyway, so this was, this was an alumni meeting of this group and the, the, some of the faces have remained the same over the years, but there were a couple of fresh faces, which I think was very helpful in, in the context of, of, of this workshop that you and I did. Yeah, absolutely. And and most of them are IT 
consultants, you would say, right, Ed? I mean, and but I also noticed there might have been one or two accountants in the group or that Co- at correct. least had accounting firm experience. Yes, correct. I mean, uh, the, the, the organizations all started off as Sage Partners, but that has morphed a little bit over time. And of course, yes, Sage, Sage Partners, just because of the fact that we've sold accounting systems for a long, long time, some of those people do have an accounting background, whether they were you know pure accountants and then morphed into technology, or they were just folks who started in technology and actually went into accounting then after that. But yes, there's, there's clearly an accounting bias, let's call it, uh, among the group. Right. And we, we provocatively titled this the post-professional society. I just, I just love that title. By the way, that comes from a Marxist thinker. So um, <laughs> it's kind of ironic how a lot of really good lines are, are, turn out to be right from Marx, but for the wrong reason. <laughs> right, right. Well, he, he was post-capitalist society, though, right? And we stuck in professional, or did he actually say professional, too? Um, well, th- th- actually, it wasn't it wasn't Karl Marx who wrote that. Another another academic, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. But he no, he did say the the post professional society. Oh, he did. Okay, he okay, did. Gotcha. yeah, yeah. And uh, but anyway, the whole idea of how of how technology, AI, deep learning, but also some of these digital platforms are going to change the nature and shape and role of of how professionals carry out their work and. That's what we were kind of focused on. And what was interesting, Ed, as we talked about as we were prepping this course was, you know, most things we talk about, we kind of have an answer or we kind of have an opinion about the way people Mm -hmm. should go. And on this, we, we don't really. We just have nothing but questions. That's right. That's right. We and and we were we were making our way from Buffalo after flying in over to to Niagara Falls, and I said, you know, usually we got something to sell, right? Usually we got <laughs> we're trying to we got persuade, a, or <laughs> we're to try, right? we're trying to persuade. Hey, our ideas are better. And this one, we're like, eh, we ain't got nothing. We got yeah. <laughs> got just. <laughs> and and that's kind of scary, uh, you know, as two pretty opinionated people, at least on a range of topics that we normally address, to walk into a group and not have definitive opinions and, and saying a lot, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, but just, you know, we're kind of looking out the window, all of us together, and we're seeing this happen. Everybody, everybody in the group, I thought, was uh, recognized that, yeah, this is happening. I mean, you let off the the workshop with uh, a great story. I know you've told it on air before, but maybe you can tell it again about Sean. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's always, always a a fun thing when, when your life and work kind of completely coalesce together. So earlier this year, it was in May. Yeah, it was in May. My, my son, Sean, who was 10 uh, at the time. Well, he's he's still 10. He's going to be 10 in in December. I mean, 11 in December. He, he uh, hit his first over the fence home run and something which I never did in my baseball career as a you know a little league player so it was pretty exciting to be there and coincidentally my wife just happened to catch it on film like we so we've actually have the the video of him stepping up taking a crack at it and you can even see the ball going over the fence which is you know the, <laughs> the baseball gods were absolutely with us on on this so anyway it was it was you know obviously great for him to see but we we use this system as 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 part of our team called Game Changer, which is a scoring system. If those of you who follow baseball might remember that they're, they're, they've got these baseball scorebooks, and there's this elaborate system by which you can track what happened in a game. And I 
you know, I have scorecards from the seventies, you know, when I'm the first baseball games that I went to as a kid and I can look and I can see what happened and recall, recount some of the memories based on what's in the scorebook. Cause you know, this guy grounded out to short, this guy hit into a double play, this guy hit a home run, all of that stuff. Well, now there's no book on that anymore. It's an, it's an iPhone app. Yep. There's an app for that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it's, it's called, it's called game changer. And what it, it does the same thing as the scorebook. So you actually follow it pitch by pitch. But this, of course, being electronic, does some pretty other really neat things, too. For example, while I was on my my way to the, the program, uh, Sean and his team were playing in a, in a tournament on Sunday. And I'm at the airport and I can actually follow along pitch by pitch what's going on because the guy who's keeping track of it is doing it on his iPhone and is in, in, with cell service, right? So... I'm actually I'm seeing it. it's just like if you were watching a baseball game on a on a mobile type app, right? Sure. So which is that that's pretty neat. Uh, but and then of course it also tracks the stats. So once once the game is finished, it uploads the the statistics: who had how many at bats and how many pitches and all of this. And you get the normal statistics, let's call them, that are produced. Uh, you know whether it be at bat, you know, no, no, it's a batting average on base percentage, all of that stuff. And even some of the crazy saber metric stuff too. But it, then it also does, because it, you, you indicate where the kid hit the ball, it does spray charts, right? So you're like, okay, yeah, we got to move the second baseman over on this kid. Cause he tends to hit this way. That's just insane to have spray charts on 10 year olds, but <laughs> probably the most fascinating thing that, that this system does is it takes the notation from the scoring system, and it feeds it to this system uh, powered by what's a company called Narrative Science, mm-hmm. and and it creates a story about the game, like you're reading it in the paper, right? So here's the first couple of sentences of the story about my son. So the head is even there's even a headline, right? Ro- Royal sees victory thanks to late double drop the NTX Eagle Eagles ten to five. <laughs> right, the Royals outlasted the NTX Eagles on Tuesday after four lead changes, squeaking out a ten to five win. Sean Kay racked up two RBIs on two hits for the Royals. He singled in the third and homered in the fourth. So, and it, then it goes on. But you know, th- these stories are—it's like you're reading it from the paper. And here's an example of this deep learning, artificial intelligence, lots of different things going on here that has basically replaced. A journalist, you know it, and and you know I've I've done some research after learning about this narrative science company, and come to find out they've published posts in Forbes and Fortune and Huffington Post, and you know we've probably all read articles somewhere that didn't have weren't written by humans, mm-hmm. and they're really well done. I mean, I'm looking at this article on on Sean, and this is well written. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it really <laughs> is. It sounds like a sports writer, you know, who mm-hmm. was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, no. Yeah. And, you know, st- concrete nouns and action verbs is not a lot of passive voice in it. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good yeah. stuff. No, it's, it's shows you, it shows you what these systems are capable of doing. And, and that was kind of the theme. And, and what I really enjoyed about this, Ed, what, compared to most of the stuff that we do where we're talking to them about a specific you know, business topic, whether it's consulting or pricing or whatever, th- this is broad enough where you can get them to think outside of just being a business person, just think of being a consumer or patient of a doctor or a consumer of journalism or, or any other you know, professional service and 
that 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 also gives you a different and I think broader perspective of these changes because when we think about like for instance interacting with a doctor and 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 how intimidating that that whole you know <laughs> that whole system can be some of these technologies are going to make it so much easier and so much more accessible uh, and that's a good thing for the consumer so if you come to this thinking like a consumer I think it, it can it can give you a better perspective rather than just all the oh this is going to be terrible what are we going to do for a living <laughs> you know doomsday type of things if you think about this as a, a just an average consumer the, some of the stuff is just fantastic oh yeah no it's 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 clear that this is going to be helpful because let's face it some some doctors for example don't necessarily have the best bedside manner and if if this in a, in a sense even coaches them through how to say and what to say it a little bit better even if they're sort of reading it right um, th- th- I think that's going to make for a better better experience so I, I yeah I, I think this is this is overall clearly and this is our bias on this and I think you and I are one of the few, are on the on the short side of this. By the way, I don't think there's a lot of people who think this, but we we think that this is actually going to be much better for consumers, and I think in the long run for professionals, it's just going to change the way professionals think of themselves. Absolutely, I am I am really optimistic. Even the more I study this and realize how how fast this is happening, like like Daniel likes to point out, you know, this is probably happening a lot faster than any of us really think. But I still think it's going to be a good thing, and there's no doubt that it's going to morph uh, the roles that we perform and the tasks that we do on a day-to-day basis. But, I mean, when has that not been true throughout mm-hmm. history? You know, when you take a longer view of this and you look back, some of the writings of David Ricardo, you know, the quote-unquote machine question, um, you know, people have been worried about this for a long time. And yet, you know, we, we humans, we're pretty creative, adaptable creatures. We'll, we'll figure out a way to serve one another. Absolutely, and I think that that that's that's true as well. We can't envision what we 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 can't imagine things to be yet, right? Who would have who would have thought that web designer was a job, right? Right. right. Who would have thought, Our, right? And so Hayek said, you know, the mind can't see its own advance. So so Ed, before we take the break here, we're uh, I just want to set up, you know, because we came to this with no answers, just a lot of questions. We did an exercise that we actually let off the workshop with called the Q-Focus. And I want to explain that in the next segment because it was really an eye-opener. I know we've done this before, but this this one really, really hit me hard uh, the way the group did it. So when we get back from the break, folks, we want to explain how we did that and why we think it's such a powerful exercise that you can use in your organization and perhaps even with your customers. In the meantime, we'd like to remind you, you can find more out about the show at thesoulofenterprise.com. So you can see full show notes on every single show, and you can um, listen to the show right then and there, uh, right from that page. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. 
we build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. The workshop that Ron and I did last, well, earlier this week, actually, in Niagara Falls, Canada, was called the Post-Professional Society, and our show today is Reflections on the Post-Professional Society. So I, th- I think we have like a, we're holding up a mirror to the Post-Professional Society. I think we got like, is it a, like an enhanced Reflections on the Post-Professional? Do you see what I'm saying, Ron? It's a little bit, you know. <laughs> Yes. We're like four levels deep into this. Right. <laughs> Pretty scary. All right, well, but let, let, I want to talk, as you, you set up previously, about one of the exercises that we did called the question formulation technique. And this was an exercise that was developed by Dan Rothstein and Luz Santana. And they are of a, or an organization called the Right Question Institute. Love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's awesome. The Right Question Institute. And you and I learned about this technique from the book by Warren Berger, not the Supreme Court Justice, different guy, uh, called A More Beautiful Question. And... We decided that we were going to try this exercise, and we've done it before, but this is the first time that I think we've done it as official and as close to the way that Santana and Rothstein lay it out. So uh, I, I was, was, was really looking forward to trying this. And, and here's, the, here's the way this works. The, 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 the idea is for, for groups and individuals to come up with a series of questions about a particular topic. And the way it's done is a statement is developed, and that's known as the Q-focus statement. And it's, it's a short statement, and I'll give an example as we move through this. And once the statement is put up on the board, people write down as many questions as they can about the statement. And there's some ground rules. The first is that the questions must be written down in some way. Either they have to write them down or they have to type them into the keyboard. That's fine. But there, I think this, it's important, they said, that people do, don't, just, they don't just think of what the questions are. They have to write them down, right? It's important to keep the conversation around the questions only, and they are not to answer the questions, just develop as many questions as they can. The questions can be both open probe, so begin with can, will, should, are, is, were, 
those are fine. But then also close probe as, as well. So why, what, how, where, when, that, those, those kinds of closed probe questions, I'm sorry, open probe questions that are, that are open to, to more conversation. So it doesn't really matter. But the important thing is you give them a time period and there's no stopping. I do like this exercise because, you know, one of the, the classic things about many exercises is some people might be done early and then you lose them and you got to bring them back. But one of the rules, the ground rules of this exercise is no, 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 no. You've got to keep writing questions down until time expires. So that keeps them clearly in, involved. And I, I don't know if you noticed, Ron, but I didn't see anybody finish, even attempt to finish early. They were still pretty focused on it. We could have even given them more time, I think, on some of these things. Yeah, no, I agree. So then the, the process is this. So you put up the statement, and the, it, then individuals write down as many questions as they possibly can. We gave them five minutes to do this. And then they share those questions that they developed with their group, or in our case, a table of three or four people, and then develop more questions after they share. That took them another five minutes, or we gave them another five minutes for that. And then probably one of the more interesting things, which is the groups then have another 10-minute conversation in which they do a couple things. One, they change closed probe questions to open probe questions and vice versa, right? And then open probe to closed probe. And the, there, there's, a, there's a rationale for that, which I think is really interesting because it does really insist that you look at things differently. And then the fourth thing is they report out. Right, they they report out on what they think was was. Oh, I'm sorry. And then they have to develop the best three questions. They have to pick from all of the questions that they've developed as a group, which are the best three questions. And then lastly, they report out on that as well. So the first statement we threw at them, and this is the one that's that was used in the book, is torture can be justified. Torture can be justified, and. They ate it up, Ron, don't you think? I mean, they jumped right they into did. it. This was a lot of fun. We opened with this. We didn't even talk about any Daniel Susskind uh, uh, work, work at all. We just opened right up with it with the, the Q for question formulation technique exercise, and I think it worked really well. It does, Ed, because it, 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 it gets people thinking in questions. You know, we've all been part of brainstorming, you know, sessions where you, you, you sit down and you're always kind of intimidated by, oh, I've got to come up with a brilliant idea or I'm not going to say anything. You know, right. boy, is this going to be perceived as a stupid idea? And like we talked about, one of the things I walked away from this is this lowers the anxiety of people. To It's, it's pretty easy to come up with questions and it lowers your anxiety. And because your anxiety is lowered... I think you're more creative and more inquisitive and ask better questions. Yep. No, I, that, that is definitely the case. And you could, you could even see that in the room. I think there was, there was some joking going on and stuff and, and people stayed very, very loose and, you know, I think as, as pointed out in the book, you know, the, 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 the person with the least amount of knowledge can still ask a, a, an interesting and, and really good question. So you don't have to, per se, have the knowledge. It's, it's one of my, it, some of the lessons from the book say, you know, it's, it, we, we can all spot a really good question because a, a, a great question motivates you. You just want to dive deeper. You want to try and answer it. It's, it's inspiring. And as opposed to say maybe a, an, an idea that could be more debatable, but I think the other thing is, like you said, the dumbest kid in the room can come up with a brilliant question, and and that's really true. And that's kind of profound if you think about it. it it's not about smart people sitting around brainstorming. It's about asking better questions because 
wasn't it Socrates who said, you know, half the wisdom's in the question, not mm-hmm. the answer. And I just, I found that very, very powerful um, from, from watching them do this exercise. Just the anxiety level in the room was so low and it just seemed to bring out their creativity better. Uh, yes, I, I wholly agree. And I, I think it was fun for them to think in questions. I think it takes a little bit of time to get used to it, which is, which is why I think the, the, the idea of throwing something like torture can be justified as a cue focus, uh, as, the, as the statement, to, to get them warmed up before you put whatever is the statement for them in their industry, right? Right. Um, so to give them some time to, to get used to this notion of thinking in questions. But yes, I, I thought this was a fantastic improvement on the whole brainstorming process. It was, it was way better than traditional brainstorming meetings. Or visioning or all of that where you feel like you have to be smart or, or just not say anything because you're going to look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, in, encouraging people to because to, I don't know the answer to this question, so... So, Ed, we did this exercise. It went really good. They, they, they saw the, the power of it, this idea that, you know, we want you to think in questions, not answers. And then you introduced some stuff from the Susskind book and recapped some of the trends that are going on out there. And, you know, we've had Daniel on. We don't have to really get into that and rehash that. But then we went into another um, question force uh, or question formulation exercise and this time, the statement wasn't about torture. It was something specific to their particular industry. So what was that statement? Yeah, and, and th- this was fun. So th- I'll give you the, the answer. The statement was, software implementation organizations will be obsolete. <laughs> and you and I debated that statement back and forth because the, the, the word that's used by the Suskins in the book is dismantled, not obsolete. But will be obsolete. We decided that we, it was also going to be a future-directed statement because we could just say software implementations are obsolete. And, I, you know, I don't know. There was some feedback from the group that this may have not been the best question for them. Like, they, 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 thought, that they, they thought that software implementation might have been too limiting already to their organizations. But, I don't know. I, I, do, I, do, think, I do think it worked. But it, let, let's say if you're a, an accounting firm, I think it would just be the, the statement might be something like uh, accounting firm or a, the, uh, the accounting profession will be dismantled. Right. right? That might be the, the Q focus statement that you would use for, for your organization. Right. I think we had in the debriefing after this exercise, they talked about how they didn't view themselves as software implementation organizations. And there was some debate about that. Well, then what are we doing? You know, I mean, there's always some type of software implementation and some of them didn't like the word consultant and and all of that. So that was a very interesting discussion. But uh, yeah, yeah, no. So I remember one one participant said, you know, I don't like the fact that you called us software implementations, but that's what we are. I think that's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't like it, but it, he didn't deny the reality. So. <laughs> so so when you when you're structuring these exercises, I think it does make a it you really do have to put some thought into that statement that you're going to have them think about and, and turn into questions because it's a, it's going to be really powerful. That's why that torture can be justified is such a great generic statement because there, you can think of a million questions right out of the gate about that. Well, what's justified? Who, what's torture? Who decides? You know, the, all those types of things. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the the one thing I think I, that I might add, and, and I think I did this the first time that we we uh, used this exercise or or a variation on it because it wasn't as this specific. But I, I think I remember saying the first time that you should you should look for second and third order questions, meaning look at your questions and develop questions about your questions. And I don't think I said that. In fact, I know I didn't say that at this exercise, and I probably should have because I think think that's that's a that's an important key too to then develop questions about your questions. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And, and, and then once we gave them the time to go through this and then work in their groups about it, the other thing that fascinated me, Ed, was when people, when the groups read out their question, the, the whole room just, it, it was unanimous. What was a great question? Yes. Right, people? Yes. Everybody said it almost simultaneously. Wow, that's a great question. I mean, yep. it just it slaps you in the face. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's just really powerful. It is because it, it, that does not happen when you do brainstorming and no, there's nobody who goes, that's the answer. And or I shouldn't say no, there's not universal acclaim. Right. right. <laughs> Around, you, that's you might have answer. half the people say, that's a great idea. But the other right. half go, eh, nah, I don't know. Yeah, about that. How long is it going to take? How much is it going to cost? <laughs> how do you get those people to change? Yeah. <laughs> who else yeah. has done it? <laughs> who else has done it? Yeah. <laughs> How are you gonna measure it? How are you gonna measure it? All right. Yeah, so Ed, <laughs> when we get back from this break, let's let's talk about the three best questions that came out of this. And of course, that's very subjective. But there were three questions that the group kind of decided were really, really good, and that they wanted to explore more. And folks, we'll get to that when we come back. Uh, in the meantime, check out the live events page at thesoulofenterprise.com. And please keep giving us those iTunes reviews. We just got another one. If we have time later uh, in the show, I want to read one from uh, Mark who reached out to us and also sent us a great, great topic idea for a show. And so I wanna, uh, we want to spend some time on that. And in the meantime, we want to hear from our sponsor, Quanta CRM. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper. Always be closing a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. 
are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here doing Reflections on the Post-Professional Society, a two-day workshop that Ed and I ran earlier this week in Niagara Falls. And we'd like to remind you, if you want to email us, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. And Ed, speaking of emails, I just wanted to take some time. Mark uh, sent me an email, and uh, this was fantastic. He said, I'm working here in my office today listening to you and Ed in the background, just finished with the Thomas Sowell show. <laughs> he said, wow, oh, wow. Outst- wow, outstanding. You know, I said, yeah, Mark, that's how we felt <laughs> interviewing <laughs> yeah. uh, Dr. Sowell. But he said, Ed, as a CFO, my biggest frustration is the 25 flavors of strategic planning. You know, too much, too many connected dots, too unproductive. Um, so he gave us a show idea that he thought, how do you build off-site planning about what the customer values the most? And he brought up uh, Vern Harnish's book, Scaling Up, and um, another guy who talks about, uh, this is Dan Sullivan of The Strategic Coach, um, he talks about the front stage and the backstage. Mm. <laughs> that sounded very Disney-esque to me, right? Offstage, yeah, on sure. stage. Um, and this, um So he wants a show, which I think is a fantastic idea, on strategic planning. And and, uh, I'd like to do it, maybe even break it into two shows, because there's a fantastic book on this by a guy named Henry Mintzberg, who I really love, called The Rise and Fall of Strategic Planning. And it was really a takedown of the whole strategic planning movement. So maybe when... We we tackle this topic, uh, Mark. We will uh, we will work in some Henry Mintzberg in there. Um, and then he said, uh, Ed, one last comment. I read Firm of the Future back in two thousand and four, thanks to a recommendation by Gary Boomer. It ranks right up there with the goal. <laughs> keep writing. Wow. You keep writing. You guys rock. Yeah. Wow. To be uh, be up there with Mr. Goldrat. That's uh, that's pretty mm-hmm. good. Well, we both hate cost accounting, so that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a commonality. That's good. That's good. Um, so. But then, he, if folks, I just also wanted to let you know, we've gotten some great uh, iTunes reviews, and, and one came, from, again, from Mark. He said, I first encountered Ron Baker when I read Firm of the Future years ago, one of the best books I've ever read. And he said, how did I miss this podcast until just recently? Love it. I've been through about 13 or so episodes and plan to get through the rest as quickly as possible. Um he said, Ed, also, you know a podcast is great when, one, you go through one episode a second time, and two, you take notes if you can do so. And then he gives some of his favorite shows or so far that he's listened to, like Dan, uh, Dr. Tom Soule, Dan Ariely, Joseph Pine. Um, and, uh, and then he says, uh, by all means, make sure you go back and listen to the first four going back to 2014. Uh, the two-part series on Top 10 Business Myths is outstanding. And uh, he said, uh, Ed, keep dropping those baseball nuggets. No. <laughs> the, the one on missing a home run by inches is classic. And that was actually told by uh, Dr. Soul. I thought that, Dr. Was, Soul, a, yeah. that yeah. was a great line. And then he said this, Ed, Joe Polish and Dan Sullivan, sorry, you need to move over. The Soul of Enterprise is now my favorite podcast. Ron wow. and Ed, keep, keep leading, keep talking. So thank you so much, Mark. That's fantastic. We we will address your topic. We think it's a fantastic topic. It's um, 
kind of ironic, Ed, that we haven't talked about strategic planning before because we do. We, I know you do some stuff around it, and I've done some stuff mm-hmm. around it. Uh, so we we definitely need to put that into the rotation. So thank you again, Mark. Uh, really appreciate your kind words, and uh, keep listening. No, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a that's a wonderful review, and and uh, it's not you know it's even better review than my mom did. So that's good. <laughs> so. <laughs> but while while we're on the subject of pod, podcasts, and I know this isn't a free rider show, Ron, so we got to get back to our topic. But I, I do want to mention and acknowledge Quanta CRM and the folks in Peter Wolf's organization who have been a, a sponsor of the show for for over a year now, and and uh, they're finishing up their sponsorship, which is great. I think that's you know it's time to move on for them doing some other things with their marketing funds, and and we're good with that. But I wanted to actually shout out that Peter and a guy by the name of Wayne Schultz, who I know we've mentioned on the show before because R- Wayne is a pretty insightful guy, but they've started their own podcast called the SMB Jump Street Podcast, and it is a biweekly podcast and i love this this is their kind of subtitle the only podcast guaranteed to deliver their unique brand of dumb advice about technology news and suggestions on how to survive in today's world of rapidly changing service models so good <laughs> luck gentlemen um if I, I hope you have as much fun as we do doing doing uh, your show because this is just such a wonderful experience so thanks to to peter wolf the folks at quanta crm for being a, a sponsor we really do appreciate it Absolutely. Thank you, Peter. And and I did listen to the first show, Ed, and him and Wayne are great. And they even they even uh, kind of made me rethink uh, the purchase of Microsoft stock. So that was uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of interesting. So really, Peter, best best wishes on that. And uh, yeah, we, and thank you again for your for your all your support over the years. It's it's been a great ride. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, back to our topic, Ron. We were we were talking about the the the, the Q focus questions that in the exercise that we did and and I was up there leading the group but you wrote down right didn't you the top three questions that they came up with I tried to capture as many as I could Ned there was about 15 or so but here's the three that really really stood out that people kind of unanimously agreed were great and again just uh, the the statement folks was software implementation organizations will be obsolete and so here were the questions will the consumer be better off and, and everybody said, wow, that's a really good question. And, of course, that it brought to my mind right away the Aristotle quote, the guest will judge better of a feast than the cook. Mm. <laughs> so yes. I always put faith in the consumer, right? Uh, Market-tested mm-hmm. consumer sovereignty, all of that, um, certainly more than I put faith in a professional. But, uh, and then the second question was, how can we lead the change to obsolescence? In other words, if we're going to become obsolete or dismantled, how can we do it? Mm. And that just, for me, that just brings up the old Andy Grove line, you know, the founder of Intel. If you're going to be cannibalized, better to dine with friends. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) At At least until it's down to two of you. And then... Absolutely. (laughs) But how can we lead to change to obsolescence? That's a very thought-provoking comment because it brings up all sorts of marketing and strategy ideas and then the third question was are there other roles a software implementer can assume and obviously you start getting into consulting and and all of that Um, all the other questions though i'm sitting here looking at them they were good but these three really seem to resonate with that particular group and they Mm -hmm. they wanted to spend more time talking about that so 
I, I just think that this is such a powerful exercise. And when we debriefed them about it, one of the things they said was, you know, thinking in questions, you're less likely to assume too many things. That you know, was profound. That was so it, profound. Yes, I it, remember the moment when that happened. That that is an extraordinarily important outcome. It, it it truly is. And then it's one person says it's easier than trying to solve the problem, which is certainly true. But that doesn't lessen the profundity of 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 the of the questions. And um, they also said, and this is really interesting, this was harder than the torture exercise, the torture statement exercise, <laughs> because, of course, it was more personal. Right. <laughs> you, you know, like they said, we're being tortured with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're being tortured with this exercise now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but, and, and it, it, again, it does, it lowers anxiety and, and all of that. And, and uh, I just thought it was just a very, very creative and innovative approach. And, and then they started talking about, we want to use this internally with the team, get them to start thinking in questions for a whole host of topics. And, mm-hmm. and then they said, well, what about with customers? And then I thought, wow, now you're opening up really something that's got unbelievable potential because you and I both know the potential of doing after-action reviews with customers. Right. Well, now imagine doing this exercise with a mm-hmm. customer I, I think that, or a group of customers, I think that could be really, really powerful. In, in a way, Ron, and I just hadn't thought of this until we're, we're talking here, th- this is a, a, re- a replacement for what we've talked about, the before action review, right? This, yep. this, this effectively becomes the before action review. And, and yeah, so yet, yet another replacement for pro- traditional project management and timesheets is clearly the, the the question formulation technique because this this is way up there on my list of things to do more often and as as many times as possible for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, this is um, I, I I can see doing this in so many different areas, especially for a change management program uh, that's significant. You know, cultural change. This is really really powerful. And, and I also think you get more buy-in, too, from people when they think in questions because it doesn't feel like an answer or a plan is being imposed on you. Correct. It, it feels like you have more of a say in it. It's kind of like, you know, the Ikea effect where, you know, I built the thing and, yeah, it looks like crap and it doesn't stand even, but I love it because I did it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my Ikea stuff turns out pretty good, actually. But, no, that's okay. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I think you're right. It, now, now, that is one of the things that I noticed if you do proper brainstorming that you do get buy-in. If you do you know, regular proper brainstorming properly, but I think you're right. I think it's, it's even more enhanced if it's, if it's surrounding the questions rather than a set of answers. Right. It, yeah, there wasn't, I mean, there wasn't any arguments, you know, that, that you saw that you, you can see or I have experience with brainstorming sessions. When there was disagreements or challenges, it, it was just like it was on a different plane when you're, when, you're, when you're framing everything in terms of questions rather than statements or ideas. And I just, again, folks, if you, if you conduct one of these things or you're part of one of these exercises, I, I, I think you really need to live through it to experience just how profound this really is. I, yep. I really hand it to the Right Question Institute, Ed. It's it's brilliant. No, it is absolutely brilliant, and and 
yeah, def- more look for more of these things because I, I I hope that this becomes something that does get picked up in in mainstream business a whole lot more because I I really think it it would be be helpful in, in those uh, and then, you know back back to the the healing leadership stuff with with my friend Howard Hansen and all that you know because of that lowered level of anxiety this this is this is a a, a leadership tool that is unlike any other you and I have encountered. Yeah, because what's Howard love to say? There's an inverse relationship between creativity and and anxiety. Anxiety. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you know, you, the the more creative you, the more the, or the more anxious you are, the less creative you will be. There's and there's no that 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 is an absolute fact. And there's no way to turn on creativity because, and in fact, it makes you anxious, right? To say, I'm going to be creative now. Yeah, right? have a great idea now. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, but thinking and questions, I don't have to come up with the idea. I've just got to think, I've got to think about the questions. I think that that, that makes the big difference. So good, good stuff. Well, Ron already up against the third break. You were right. We were prepping for the show. You said it was going to fly by and you're absolutely right. It has. So please folks uh, do, if you want to get a hold of us, ask TSOE at verisage.com. Also look for some emails from us regarding our new online community. We hope to fully launch that as of the first of the year, but right now it's building. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, we want you to be as well. But right now we want to hear from our sponsor and, of course, my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, folks. And we'd like to uh, let you know that if you want to eat, get a hold of me or Ed, you can do so at AskTSOE at Verisage.com. And Ed, ever since uh, reading the Suskin book and, and a couple others, um, I've just been kind of fascinated with this, especially AI 
and deep learning things and, you know, watching uh, the, some of the documentaries on Watson, you know, winning in Jeopardy and all of that. And so immersing myself in some of these books, one book that I really liked was by Kevin Kelly. Um, it just came out earlier this year called The Inevitable. And it's kind of 12 trends that he talks about t- technology. I think he's the editor or, or former editor, I'm not sure, of Wired magazine. And mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed the book. And in fact, I learned about the book from uh, Russ Roberts' uh, Econ Talk podcast. And I thought it was a, that was a really interesting discussion. So I read the book. And one thing that really struck me was he talks about generative value. Now, you and I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time talking about value. But right, when, right. I read, when I read this, I thought, wow, this, this could really um, be pretty thought-provoking to, to speak to on this, especially on this topic, how are we going to continue to create value as professionals or indeed any other type of business in the future as, as mm. AI gets better and all these technologies and platforms comes out. So he talks about generative value and here's his description. He says, it's a quality or attribute that must be generated at the time of the transaction. It cannot be copied, cloned, stored, or warehoused. So then he goes on to list eight items that can create this idea of generative value. The first one is immediacy, you know. So we've always seen this with like movies, right? When the movie comes out, the only way to see it is to go into the theater, you know. Right. Or, you want to be the first first one to see the blockbuster movie, so the you, you don't hear or whatever. spoilers and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can talk about it and be cool. Same with books too, right? Hardcover books. Publishers have known this for. I mean, this is decades old. Pricing discrimination idea, but but then he talked about beta versions of apps, and I thought, oh yeah, you know, a lot of people do brag about that. And yep. I don't know, you're more informed on this than I am, but 10 or 20 years ago, you didn't want to go anywhere near a beta version of anything. And, and now yeah, it's a badge it, of honor. Yeah, it is. But, but, but it, it has always had that quality. I mean, I can, I can remember, you know, downloading a copy, a beta copy of, I think it was Windows NT Server. Okay, so I'm dating myself here. And... <laughs> Just, just thinking, this is like the coolest thing ever because we were working with boring Novell netware that the you know, and and it was just to, just neat to have a Windows based server and it was beta code and okay. I and but people, you're a oh, you're crazy, geek. yeah, a I'm a techno geek. <laughs> so if I, I'm talking about this in terms of mass consumer. Yeah, 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 right. You're right. Yeah, it's cool. Right. It's it's hip to be. It's hip to be in the beta program now. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, in the early adapter or the innovators mm-hmm. or whatever. So immediacy. Yeah. His second one of generative value is personalization. And, you know, Joe Pine talked about this with his, you know, mass customization book. And that's really what we're talking about. The idea that, you know, you might be able to get a children's book with your kid's name in it. You know, weave throughout the story, something like that. Um, interpretation is another one. So companies like Red Hat and Apache that obviously can you know, take open source software and, and do things. But he also talked about the idea of DNA. You know, pretty mm. soon we're probably going to be able to get our DNA mapped. And, you know, what does it mean, right? 23 and me. It's already yeah. done, Ron. 23 and me. Yeah. You heard this? Couple, 23 and me. Yeah. Any, any idea what, uh, what the pricing is? I think it's 150 bucks. Okay. And they'll actually bucks. map it and interpret it for you? 
and tell oh, you yeah. No, what, and they, yeah. what diseases you might be, uh, you know, at mm-hmm. risk for and things like that. Yeah, okay. and they tell they tell you uh, like they they'll tell you your what what your your origin story is like what, what percentage Scandinavian blah 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 that you are. Yep. Okay, excellent. And yep. then the fourth type of generative value that Kelly identifies is authenticity. So, you know, uh, speaking to artwork and artifacts and things like that, authenticating things. Uh, the ability ex- to authenticate? Like the ability to authenticate. Yes. Someone come in and say, this this is really a Picasso, that kind of thing. Right. And, and you know, I always thought of Pawn Stars when, when I was reading this because you know, no, they, yeah, yeah. they always bring down an expert, right, who, who, who talks Ray. about what that thing is or, yeah. <laughs> or, or an autograph, you know, could figure out if an autograph is real. Uh, accessibility is another one. You know, uh, and of course, this is Airbnb, Uber, you know, those types of things where you, you let others tend to your possessions, maybe on the cloud. Um, then the sixth one was embodiment. And he talked about TED Talks. You know, we can all watch TED Talks for free, but, you know, w- some people will go and pay 10, 20 grand to be part of a big one because they get all, you know, hobnob with the keynote speakers and all that type of thing. Um, the other one, of course, is chef tours. You know, you can get a uh, in in the in the kitchen table. You know, you can have uh, dinner served by Gordon Ramsay or something. So that whole physical embodiment uh, was his sixth type of value. The seventh was patronage. So you know, you've talked about Radiohead's pricing strategy before, yes, right? Yes, or just uh, you know, Bitcoin uh, is going to allow micropayments or allows for micropayments. So if you if you see a blog post or some type of content, you know, video, music that you like. You could, you know, you could patronize. You could, you know, give a donation or something. Um, and then the last and eighth type of generative value is discoverability. Help people discover things. And I'd be a curator. And he and he brought up a stat I'd never heard before. Eddie said TV Guide made more money than all the three TV networks combined, <laughs> and the TV was free. But people went and bought the TV Guide to discover what was on the free TV. And Interesting. So, yeah. Oh. Being a curator, and and I think I made the joke in Niagara Falls that that's kind of what you and I do, right? Yeah. <laughs> We're adults who get paid to do book reports. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, wh- and, and review YouTube clips. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least, you know, filter ideas and synthesize yeah. them and, and put them together. And uh, so I just, you know, I, I, I don't know how accurate all these things are, but I, I think there's some... There's some use to looking at it that way. It's an interesting way to think about value, especially in the future. And I just like the idea that it couldn't be stored, copied, or warehoused. You know, it had to be part of the transaction. Yeah, interesting. And and, and you know, it it, it brings up to a, a a point where what what I love is that it it has to take place at the time of the transaction itself, right? And that that's that's really the key. So there's no way that Another organization can, well, I guess they, they could also, for example, personalize something, but not the way your organization could in some way. And I, I think I, I think you're right. I think that, that professional firms need to look into these eight things and really give some thought to what is it that they can do about how they deliver whatever it is they deliver that builds in some of these things to it. Some of, some of it's already there. Right, some of it's sure. there, but sure. 
but but how how do they take that potentially to the next level or even build one in that's not in there today right that's not part of whatever it is that they do today right good stuff yeah no i really like that and and just my my last reflection ed on the on the workshop that we did um obviously you know the change is an overused word maybe and the only constants change and all of that but i think i mentioned this proverb uh this chinese proverb when we interviewed doug sleater but they have a great proverb when the winds of change blow some people build walls other build others build windmills <laughs> and and i rather have a windmill than a wall at this point with all this change coming down the pike yeah, no, I completely agree. I completely believe. So, what are we going to do next week, my friend? Ah, uh, Ed, Free Rider Friday. <laughs> nice. It feels like it's been months, but <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> no, and we we were in Canada for our last Free Rider Friday too at the IPBC right. conference. So, I'm looking forward to to doing uh, Free Rider Friday with you again. Fantastic! I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to check out our show at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll have full show notes on today's shows, uh, on today's show, and uh, also you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.